Toto. I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. You're listening to Out of Odds, a podcast from Building 28 Church. Welcome back to Out of Oz. Woo! Woo! We're back. First one we're recording in season three, even though it's not. This will be like episode three, probably. Come out first. That's why we have a different kind of energy today. But on this podcast, by building twenty-eight church, we confront the fantasies and fallacies of modern-day Christian culture with compassion, conviction, and courage. Hopefully, it's compassionate. And cowardice for some. That's true. (laughs) Just all the C's. And with me, as always, is Aaron Curran. I'm your host, Peter Tragos. And we've got our boy, Superpowers, with us. Superpowers back now. I feel like we're we're going to be a little rusty this morning. So we're just kind of stretching. There is no rust. Getting getting warmed up. None none for the lawyer you know. uh, There's no rust. But uh, I got the Bible ready to go to tell how they're wrong. So. All right, so we're speaking about tongues today and talking about tongues. So if you don't understand, uh, Adam will be here to interpret for us yes. and help us out. Yes, I will. Uh, the cessationist in the room, which we'll explain more about. But look, all right, it's undeniable that in the early Christian church, the gift of tongues was operational and effectual. Like if, you, if you're a Christian, you read the Bible, you read the book of Acts, it's very, very clear, undeniable and effectual. But since the first century, evidence surrounding the use of speaking in tongues, and we'll we'll kind of parse out what that means here, but evidence around that is scant um, throughout church history, and particularly over the past century plus, there has been an intense craze and immense confusion surrounding the use, the necessary presence of, the continuation of speaking in tongues. So today, Christians are left with the extremely pressing and somewhat unsettling, often confusing question, should I as a Christian be speaking in tongues. And as Peter said, to help us answer that question, we have the vicar himself, oh, the right reverend, the bishop, recently returned from um, his doctrinal classes with yeah. uh, Derek Thomas. With Derek Thomas, yeah. the uptight Puritan himself. So uh, <laughs> Adam Powers, superpowers, pastor of Sunrise Community Church here on the, oh yeah, there's a whoop from outside the room. And I'm Aaron, if you're new to Out of Oz, pastor here at Building 28, and we're going to be talking about tongues. So Pete. Let's, let's roll, man. All right. So this is going to be, in my opinion, I know Adam thinks every topic's easy. In, in my opinion, it's going to be an interesting topic that I think we have to kind of walk through slowly, give a lot of definitions, mm-hmm. give historical context and biblical context, as always, because I think that'll help us kind of walk down the line. Because some people, if you're either new to Christianity, not a Christian, just kind of checking it out, would think all this stuff sounds crazy. So we kind of start with why it's not and what the purpose was back in biblical times. Um, and then be give it some modern day context as well. So when first just explaining what does it mean to speak in tongues? Because I think a lay person's definition would just be gibberish, somebody screaming on stage because the Holy Spirit's working in them. But how would you define speaking in tongues? Well, the Greek word that's used, the New Testament was originally written in Greek, right? We need to say this. The Greek word that's used in the book of Acts when it's talking about speaking in tongues, which is, by the way, not this tongue. These tongues are for every day, right? Hinting at where I'm going to try to persuade you if you're not already there. But no, the Greek word for speaking in tongues is glossi, which is where we get the word glossolalia. Glossary from. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, is that? Oh, that's, that's yeah. It. That yeah. makes sense. Glossary. I think more yeah, people have heard of the word glossary than <laughs> yeah, whatever true. it was that you said. But glossary. Another Greek word. Yeah. From. <laughs> there you go. Glossary. Glossing right over yeah. to what's your next point? Yeah. So Acts 2, the Pentecost moment, is the pivotal moment where tongues yeah. of fire rested on the apostles' heads visibly, as when the Holy Spirit descended and filled the apostles. They go from scared, uh, weak, timid men, right? The resurrection has just occurred. They've seen Jesus, yet they're still timid. They're still asking in Acts chapter one, if Jesus is going to restore the kingdom of Israel at this time, Peter even asks, and that means destroying the Romans. And he's still confused clearly. Then Acts two happens and everything literally changes. The filling and the coming of the Holy Spirit onto the church, nothing has ever been the same. The fire was lit and it describes the moment, the Pentecost moment, as if the Holy Spirit descended on them in tongues of fire and they start preaching. That's the result of this. They start preaching the gospel. Christ is being glorified, made much of his story, his work, his death, his resurrection. And the people that were around the preaching that heard them, a few thousand, I believe, because that's the number that were converted at this moment, they each heard the apostles preaching in their own tongue, in their own language, that is. So it really helps what we mean when we say, can we speak in tongues? Should Christians speak in tongues? Because the Acts 2 moment, tongues is an intelligible language that was heard and the person speaking was speaking their own language. So Peter's not speaking in something that he doesn't understand. The hearer, though, hears a different tongue and they hear it in their own heart. So do you think that's language. the only form of tongues in the New Testament? Yes, I do. Okay. But I can understand where people get the other unintelligible tongue where it does sound like a language that is not circulating on the planet right now that some people would wrongly, I think, say gibberish. That's, that's not quite compassionate to call it that. It sounds like it. Right? That's, what a, that's what a Baptist would call it. I for think. sure, for sure. <laughs> and uh, no, but that that comes in 1 Corinthians where it talks about, though I speak, this is 1 Corinthians 13, right? The yeah. wedding passage yeah. in the tongues of angels, which I think is the only reference that I know of. I could be wrong about that. Where tongues are referred to in a language that's unintelligible, maybe. See, I, I guess I see it with when Paul says, if they, if they speak in tongues, there must be an interpreter there would be no need for an interpreter if everyone was hearing in their own tongue. And so I see the passages in 1 Corinthians speaking about some type of, look, I'm, cards on the table, I've never spoken in any form of tongues. No? Uh, but I tend to believe there are three, I lean toward heavily, there being three distinctive forms of tongues in the New Testament. What are the three? And the, the first is found there in Acts chapter 2, okay. um, which I think is conveniently overlooked and marginalized by the, if, I'm, if I can be compassionate and say it, by the charismania crowd. Like, no, when, the when, group when, that when, bears the yeah, title yeah, of yeah, the of, event. Of, we speak the in tongues, but they never speak in that form, which I think is right, the most right. the most obvious form of tongues yeah. in the New Testament. The, the, yeah. I can understand I have a lot of friends like yourself who say there's only one form of tongues in the entire yeah. uh, you know, New Testament. Okay. It's, I speak English, they hear it in Spanish or, or whatever their language is. But I do think that there is a kind of a private prayer language of sorts. Um, I think that's what Paul's that's alluding to kind. in Romans when he talked about groanings without words. There's a, oh. you know, P Piper Piper does talk about that quite a bit. Sam Storms talks about that. There's a, I, I don't have that, so I I'm it's not true. gonna I'm not gonna speak definitively and uh, 
you know, authoritatively on that. But I think Ooh. there there might be there might be a exist. a uh, <laughs> a private prayer language. Which, if you have that, if you're watching or listening, you have that. I've always said, um, no one really needs to know about that because it's private. Right. Pri- it's between you and the Lord. And then I do think that there might there there is a form of tongues that bears interpretation. It shouldn't. It should not be done in the presence of more than two or three witnesses. It must have an interpreter present, and so whether you want to call it gibberish or speaking in some unintelligible language, that is spirit induced, as the spirit gives utterance, and then must have an interpretation. Or else, Paul even says in First Corinthians, it leads to confusion, and God is not the author of confusion. So, if there are multiple tongues in Scripture, um, we talk about the glossary of tongues. Um, that's where I would lean. I would lean toward there's, there's more than just Acts 2, but it's certainly Acts 2. Okay. It's certainly that. And just so we everybody's following. So when we talk about Acts 2 and you're, you're saying charismatics don't speak in that kind of tongues? In fairness, they would believe in that. But you just don't but see But when it. they say it is a necessary manifest, and by charismatics, I want to be clear here, not all charismatics believe right. this, but the ones who say it's a necessary evidence of the filling of the Holy Spirit. So what that is, is speaking in a language you don't know, but that the the hearer knows. So what you're speaking, they're understanding. Even so actually, it's you, you're speaking in a language two. that you that's know. What that's what I'm trying to define because we're right. calling it yeah. Acts 2. Let's talk about what yeah. is so Acts 2 Pentecost speaking in. So Acts moment. 2, you're yeah. speaking in a language that you know. Okay. And I have, I have pastor friends who claim good, godly, reformed guys who claim to have gone to a foreign context mm-hmm. and they have spoken English and people in Nicaragua heard it in Spanish. And they say they couldn't explain it. The spirit gave them utterance. And I am not going to be the one who say they're a liar and the spirit right, can't do sure. that. So that that is the Acts 2 understanding, uh, unpacking of tongues. And like, then we have the one you talked about, like the secret par- prayer language. And then when we get into what are we defining as Corinthians, the other one, the the more unintelligible language, language of angels, potentially. Well, there's just nuance around because Paul says it needs interpretation. You don't need interpretation for a language you can clearly understand. Or a language you don't understand that is known by others. That's also an option. Okay. Explain the difference between me just speaking in English and having an interpreter in Nicaragua interpret it in Spanish to the crowd. Could that be tongues to that crowd? Is that a definition of tongues? Why is it not if the other one is? I don't think that that's really been the historic understanding of speaking in tongues when that that you're in a foreign place and you're speaking in your in your native language and you have an interpreter and that's what Paul's calling for there in first Corinthians. I don't think that that I mean at least the ones I've run with would say it's clearly um some type of angelic language or foreign tongue here on earth that has been imparted to Really, the I would say the purpose of, of tongues is evangelism. It's not really edification of the church, typically. So it's been given for evangelistic purpose, and it needs an interpretation, a human tongue to interpret what is being said. And that's why, in fairness, some Pentecostal, charismatic, holiness, whatever branches, they'll have speaking in tongues services with interpretation. I just happen to be skeptical, if I'm honest, of... We'll get there. Uh, yeah, yeah, we'll get there. But yeah. I'm just trying to define what it looks like yeah. and why one thing is speaking is defined as speaking in tongues and another thing is not. Like, yeah. you need an interpreter. Why is just not everyday language? It's because speaking in tongues is not just supposed to be something like, hey, me and Adam are going to have a talk today. I'm going to bring an interpreter. We're speaking in tongues because he speaks a different language, right? Yeah, not like, that. There's more yeah, to speaking that. in tongues biblically. So while we're defining terms... It's helpful to see what's already happened in our discussion. We're zeroing in only on these specific moments. So put aside the Corinthian moments before we'll get there, right? 
But Acts 2, we have to see it in context. And when I mean context, not only within the book of Acts, but within the entire Bible. If we isolate Acts 2 out, we will extrapolate from it and pull out from it all kinds of things that I think are unhelpful and untrue. But if we see it in the context of all of Scripture, I think rightly seen the Pentecost moment is the reversal under the gospel of the Tower of Babel, when God scattered mankind, created the languages, and then under the banner of Christ, the head of the church and the preaching of the gospel, he brings the nations in. That's why Pentecost happens. And in that light, we should say, and I think all people should say, Pentecost is a moment that is unrepeatable. The church has been brought together now under the gospel and is still coming in. We can talk about the Corinthian moments, right, which we will, but the Pentecost moment is an unrepeatable moment. It has happened. The shift in redemptive history has occurred. The nations are now coming in under Christ. It hasn't been repeated historically. No. Not to that scale, anyway. I mean, when, when I say not to that scale, like I said, I've never spoken in tongues. I am taking the word of good godly men. It'd be like you or Peter coming in here and saying, I went to Russia and I spoke in English and they understood me. I mean, I wasn't there. I don't want to like question their integrity in saying that. And that is something that happens in scripture. But what we can say is to the scale of 10,000 people hearing in their own language and 3,000 of them trusting Christ because of that, that's not been repeated in in history. And also when you talk about the whole scripture, like the Old Testament prophesies that that is going to be a sign of Messiah's coming. Joel 2. Yeah. That that they're going to speak in tongues, people hearing their own language. Which Peter quotes in his sermon at Pentecost. Saying, so now the last days have come in yeah. to bring in that, yeah. you know, wonderful topic. So there's amen. a lot of ground to cover, but no, there is. So I'm probably closer to you than I want to let on. So <laughs> w- does there have to be a purpose when somebody speaks in tongues? Does it have to be evangelistic? Does it have to be pro- uh, doing prophecy or prophesying or anything like that? Is it, does it have to have that kind of a purpose or can it be for any reason based on biblical context? I would argue that anything that we do inside the church or even outside the church, but particularly most of this, when people ask the question, should I be speaking in tongues? Are tongues still relevant? Is it biblical to speak in tongues? They're talking within the local church context a lot of times because that's where it's taking place. That's where, um, you know, people are coming in on a Sunday morning for worship or, or for a night of worship and they're t- speaking in tongues. Adam's just talking about somebody doing it in his church and having to kind of confront them, I guess, afterwards. And so I would say that anything we do inside the, the walls of the local church in a worship gathering should have a purpose to it. We had a podcast on raising your hands. If you raise your hand, there should be a reason for why you're doing that. If you're singing songs, like, and I think the reason has been lost a lot of times, like, huh. and that's why there's so much like kind of, kind of um, almost mummification walking in, like on Sunday morning, like people are just kind of like, like just kind of easing in and not everybody wants to in, but a lot of people in churches across America are just kind of easing in because they've lost the purpose of why we're there. Like, why do we sing songs in church? Why do yeah. we hear the word? Right. Why do we speak in tongues if we speak in tongues, you know? which we don't at Building 28 in service. But I think there should be a purpose for all of that. And I think biblically, the purpose was, as I already mentioned, it was evangelism. It was the proclamation of the gospel. As a matter of fact, typically when you see tongues display, which is not frequent, and and I would argue, even though I would land more in the continual camp, it shouldn't be like necessarily frequent and normative today. It's a movement of the spirit of God where he enables that to take place. But there should always be a purpose behind it. It should not just be haphazard or, um, and I think that's what was clearly, I believe what was happening in the church of Corinth, along with a lot of other garbage 
And that's why Paul confronts it and says, God is not the creator of the stir up of confusion, but of order. Um, I would rather speak five intelligible words than unintelligible. The language of, of angels. And a thousand words in a tongue. No one can understand you're right, which is not Acts 2, but yeah, go ahead. So I think there has to be a purpose for it, for sure. There is lots of garbage in Corinthians. That's for sure. There is. <laughs> okay, we'll tackle that another time. Yeah. Um, okay, so speaking in tongues, we've gotten kind of all the different <laughs> definitions of it. Let's talk about whether or not you think it's appropriate modern day based on biblical context. And if you think it was almost like Adam seems to think it was like a one-time thing, why? So, oh, no, what? I was going to say in Adam's defense and a lot of my, because I'm theologically in so many other realms, I'm I'm where the cessationist would be. So, okay, so just to be clear, because Peter says for the podcast. That's a word. When we, when we talk through the gift of tongues and also the sign gifts. So just to be clear, scripture talks about spiritual gifts that we all have, exhortation and encouragement and teaching and, and mercy and service and all these things. And every Christian has a gift, uh, a primary gift to, to exercise within the local church to, yeah, to fulfill the one another's of scripture. The sign gifts are somewhat different. Those are given by specialized, I believe, specialized um, movement of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And by sign gifts, I mean prophecy, tongues, and healing. That typically is what how those are defined. So can God still heal today? Yes. Yes, yes, he can. He can do whatever does he wants. He is does he? I, w- I would argue that he does, but I don't think it's normative and widespread. Right. I think right. that 99% of the time, cancer takes its effect unless medicine treats it or, you know, whatever it might be. And that's sad. That's the result of living in a broken world is prophecy. I would argue that 98% of prophecy in scripture is a declaration of what scripture already says, a calling to repentance. Thus says the Lord. That's what the prophets in the Old Testament. It's not a foretelling of future events. So, but can the Lord do that? If it's not in contradiction to scripture, sure. It needs to be tested by scripture. The same is true with tongues. I would say it's not normative. It's not every day, but can tongues still take place? I would say yes. My friends that would say it ceased, maybe at Powers, uh, I know some of our other elders here at Building 28 would lean that direction, would say that it was specifically given, I actually said this on The Skeptical Saint a couple of weeks ago, but they would compare it to like a turn signal in a car. Like when you're going to turn left, you put on the left turn signal. And once you've turned left, you don't leave it on anymore. It was for a purpose that accomplished that purpose. Now you've turned And that's what the gift of tongues did at Pentecost, is it fulfilled a purpose. It showed Messiah has come, the gospel's going to the nations, and that took place. And once that took place, the turn signal was turned off. Like, there was no need anymore for these gifts um, to continue. Some have also gone, and I I don't think you would do this because you're far too wise, but uh, some have also gone to 1 Corinthians 13 and said that when the perfect comes— you know, tongues will cease. That does and not refer to the canon I, of Scripture. I don't think it refers no. to the canon of Scripture, no, the can't. completion of Scripture. That's clearly the second coming. Second coming of Christ, yeah. yeah. To me, I don't think there's clear and compelling evidence that says, yes, it has definitively ceased, but I can see where my friends would be. Is that, is that fair? That's fair. Okay. All right, so let's hear my Ryan. turn. Yeah. My turn? Yeah. Yeah? Go for it. So I think it's problematic. It's problematic. So whether tongues still exist today, I'll admit you can't answer definitively either yes or no. I'm firmly there. It's practice today is problematic, I think, for two monumental reasons. It's problematic, number one, simply because it demands interpretation. Does it though? Yeah. Like throughout the Bible, demands yes. interpretation. There's no, there's no times where tongues are spoken without the Bible mentioning there has to be interpretation. Right. 
It what is about, always supposed to have an interpretation. Isn't there in Acts, Paul baptizes people and they speak in tongues and prophesy and doesn't mention anything about interpretation? Well, right. But later on in Corinthians, he says a tongue without interpretation is not to be allowed. Well, wh- what's the definition of interpretation? What is Do this? you have to have, does it say there has to be like a separate person interpreting what you're saying? Well, that's just or it. can there be a divine interpretation? That's just it. There's a million different views on what interpretation looks like. But here's the problematic thing. So things. I'm saying you can't just say, and again, this is sounding like I'm arguing for people breaking out in tongues <laughs> of church. I'm farthest thing from that. I'm just saying open mind thinking. You're not saying that anytime someone speaks in tongues, maybe you are saying this, so you can correct me, that if someone is not standing there next to them or right there interpreting that that means it's anti-biblical because it's not being interpreted because there is divine interpretation. Like Aaron mentioned with some pastors in Russia, that would be divine interpretation if I'm speaking in English and they're hearing in Russian. That's more the Acts 2. There's no need for an interpreter there. Or it's being interpreted divinely. Divinely, sure. In the Corinthian pattern... You see how he's you know, about to agree with me. There's Interpretation has to happen, but <laughs> that it has to happen is incredibly problematic for two reasons. Okay. So 99% of the time, what happens when someone interprets a tongue? I've had someone speak in tongues over me. It was a surprise and I, I sat there and let them do this and it went on for a few minutes. And m- many people have had this experience and many people have been in congregations or settings or services or special excursions or retreats where this has happened. And the interpretation given is already something that's in scripture. So if somebody speaks a tongue over you, Aaron or Peter, and says the interpretation, whether it's themselves giving the interpretation, which happens a lot, or it's someone else, if the interpretation is, if you find your joy in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart. My response would be, well, we, we, we could have done this in a lot shorter of a time. I already know Psalm 37, 4. I already know that. So why do this? Why is it necessary when I already have this in the Bible? So that's one problem on one side. The other problem with interpretation is if someone then gives the interpretation and it's not something in the Bible, are they then communicating that they now have such an intimacy and a calling from God that what they say through tongues is at the same level of scripture. And many charismatics are saying, no, 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 we're not saying that tongues interpretation are are not canonized like scripture is. Scripture is important. But I will say it comes in practice. It comes awfully close to being held as, as important as scripture if it's not right up underneath which provides a situation and an environment where the high level of scripture that we should hold it to is slowly lowed down where the opinions of man can slowly increase over them. So I think it's problematic in many ways for the context of the gathered church. And goodness, we could just get this. Here's here's another reason. Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, as he's talking about tongues, he goes on and on and on about how he does wish that all men speak in tongues, but he wishes that all men would serve one another in love and put off childish things and mature in their faith. And the the very example he uses in maturity is speaking intelligible language to build up the church rather than speaking 
in the tongues of angels to just build up yourself. So it seems that Christian maturity would go away from the public use and practice of speaking in tongues while it might then, I think, still be allowable in private, which is what we do at Sunrise. We don't allow it in the public gathering, but feel free to do it I would it argue that it should never home. be in any public gathering because yeah. I think Paul makes it very clear it should not be done in the presence of more than two or three witnesses. Now, if we're talking about the Acts 2 tongue, that's why I say it's a different kind of tongue. It's, Paul, Paul clearly totally wouldn't different. say it. Acts 2 is not Corinth. But, he said it was only one form of tongue starting out this podcast. Yeah, I think, <laughs> no, I, I think no, you went no, like no. this, actually. Yeah. During, when you were your, yeah, your yeah, first, he like turned down fingers. Your first Jeff, and third. If you could roll that back. Legit. Okay, the okay, so the problem. Okay. okay, so you're saying the, there, the, there the is street. the groaning okay, of the okay, spirit okay, context. Okay. Right I don't, right even, I don't no even care. I think those people would say, Lord knows my heart. I would say, Lord knows my heart. There are, have been moments in my life where I'm such filled with anguish that I can't even utter the words. And, you know, if that's what you're talking about, then fine. Like, But... If we're, mm. if we're talking about that third form of tongues where you're speaking and there bears interpretation, okay, just to be, to try to be clear here, if we're talking about the first form, Acts chapter two, speaking a known language, hearing a known language, that does not need an interpreter because it's divine interpretation. It does not need to be done in the presence of only two or three witnesses because it's not going to cause confusion because everybody can hear in their own language, Order their own will tongue. Be maintained. So different, completely different form of tongues than what we have in First Corinthians that should not, Paul says, be done in the presence of more than three or four witnesses. It shouldn't. And it needs an interpreter so that it's not confusing to others. This is a, a nuanced conversation, but cessation, when we say cessationism, I just want to get back to that because I brought it up like five minutes ago. Cessationism means that you believe or you hold to a belief that the gifts of the spirit, these sign gifts I talked about, healing tongues, have prophecy, ceased. have ceased. Right. They've stopped. Um, there's, there's really well-known Reformed theologians like John MacArthur and, and others who would say, that's where they are. It's ceased. Charism- He's a perfect face for that. <laughs> yeah, for that, yeah. For that definition. Uh, R.C. Sproul was in that camp yes, of thank cessationism. You. A nicer face, <laughs> um, you know, uh, was. Now he's not. He's speaking in tongues. And then on the other side of that, on the other side of that, charismatic Pentecostalism typically is a belief not only that that these just have not ceased, but they're very prevalent. They're very normative today. Should they're, be they're, they should be practiced. They should That's be exercised. Some would even go so far as to say, if you are a true Christian, you will prophesy or speak in tongues. And then within mm. the middle, and I, I tend to believe that most truth is found in the middle of these things. When we talk about egalitarianism versus complementarianism, um, so many other subjects within the church, egalitarianism versus patriarch. Okay. Um, that complementarianism uh, is in the middle of that. And it's nuanced and it's broad and it's hard to like kind of pin down exactly. I That's, thought you were throwing grenades there. When we talk about the gifts of the spirit, continual thinking, uh, what's called continualism, is, is where a lot of theologians would land. Now, some would lean more toward the charismatic side within continualism, meaning that they're very, very open to the gifts of the spirit and they would still test them with scripture. And then others would lean very heavy towards cessationism. All that to say, I would just, I would want to, I would say I'm, I'm in that camp. The gifts of the Spirit are still operative today, but they have to be done biblically. And so, so I would believe part of the gift of the Spirit, part of the moving of the Spirit is for pastors to give us insight when we counsel. We're not always opening Scripture and saying, this is what the Lord says. Like Danny Van's recording our video this morning for us. I've given her counsel on um, friendships that she has in her life relationship with a boyfriend when she has gone through different things, trying to figure out what she's going to do with school. Not all of that is like from Hebrews or from James or from Job. It is hopefully wisdom that I have as a pastor. We have a someone pastor. call that prophecy. 
Exactly. I would. So, or or to, to your yeah. earlier example of speaking in tongues, and I've never had uh, what I would deem to be a legitimate experience of somebody speaking in tongues over me and then interpreting that prophecy. I had Jeffrey and I joked about, around about it. Hopefully it's not offensive to people, but this couple came forward. They don't, they come to the church. That was their first time. And the wife started saying that she had this vision while I was preaching of, of my house and that um, the house was really clean on the inside, but the windows were dirty. And so, and that I needed some spiritual Windex. And then the husband started interpreting that and talking about what that looks like and how I need to clean up the windows. And my, anyway, it was weird. It was weird. It didn't make any sense. You need to clean the it was, outside it was too, and nothing yeah, inside? I know, exactly. I feel like that's exactly. better. And exactly. then the opposite but if of you like, saw what he wore when he <laughs> preached back then, yeah, you would yeah, understand. That's true, that's true. This was like two years ago. So. Kind of, <laughs> was that a polite way of saying you kind of look like a hobo? Yeah, no. Uh, to, <laughs> me, more like to me, that I think that is what's going on so much within Christianity today. Just this. And that is so antithetical to what Paul is saying when he says, this is confusing. Like God's not the author of confusion. He's the right. author of order. order. But if somebody came forward and they and they spoke in tongues in my presence, nobody else around, or maybe one other pastor there, and they said, This is the interpretation of that, and they and they offered an interpretation that was very practical to my life, I would then test it. Does it does it come true? Is it good advice? Is it sound? Is it does it align with biblical principles, even if it's not scripture itself? And so I I guess I wouldn't be as maybe as as closed off to it as some would be. But I would definitely, I think Christians should test it in relation to, um, it doesn't have to be actual scripture. If someone says, the Lord says, and what follows is not scripture, is immensely dangerous. Okay, it can be dangerous. I would disagree though, because I believe the Lord led me to marry my wife, Danielle. Okay. That's nowhere but in scripture. But do, do you believe that in that inclination, you could have been wrong in discerning those feelings? I could have. And I think, right. that, I think that's why right. we have to submit ourselves to scripture. So if somebody's like, hey, I believe the Lord is leading me to sleep with my boyfriend. Yeah. We can be like, oh, nope, that's, no. that's not the Lord's leading. Like, we know that. Right. Um, I think that's also why we gather good counsel into our lives. Yeah. And because our hearts can lead us astray, for sure. But at the same time, I think that there is, there's tons of counsel given all the time. That, that we believe, like we believe as parents, that the Lord is pressing certain things on us and how we raise our children. And we're applying biblical principles, but the practicality of what we're doing is, is to us, to each of us. Like by any stretch, I don't think that, that our counsel, the words that we speak all have to be straight from scripture. I think you know this about me. I'm not regulatory principle guy. All right. All. No, I'm, so, a, I'm yeah. a normative guy too. Yeah. So if scripture allows for something, if it's not prohibited in scripture, I'm right. in that vein. Very, very Luther of us. All right. So I've got Eater. a couple like quick hitter questions if we can try to keep yeah, the answers quick. Round. So yeah, a little lightning round. So how would you differentiate <laughs> or analogize miracles and speaking in tongues? We've mentioned it. Do you think, because some people think miracles don't happen anymore, like actually supernatural miracles. Would you say that that's the same, different, and how? I would say something of what Aaron has already said. I mean, God can do Whatever he so so you would say they're the same like to like do. tongues can no. happen just as much that's what I'm saying so get no. some let t- tell but, me why so I mean the general and I think I'm in this I mean most of us would say within the category of miracle there are tons of things there whether it's healing whether it's tongues whether it's prophecy whatever it is right I hit the end of my list there but um, <laughs> <laughs> we need to come back and say this is not the ordinary way that God functions in the church. It's extraordinary. It's the exception to the rule. The rule is scripture. 
And insofar as we allow the exception to the rule to start guiding the boat, uh, we have deviated from Christianity and we have become a cult of mysticism, I think. What do you think, Aaron? I agree. I, I think I think the danger has become with any of these sign gifts when we've made them so normative that we just expect God to heal. And when he doesn't, we become disenchanted, disillusioned, and you know, resentful toward him. Or we become, we fall into that vein, which is very popular today of just hokey Christianity of of, you know, copping out with God has a higher plan, which he does, but we shouldn't have like promoted that he was going to heal this little girl in the first place, you know, mm. or um, that those types of things. Um, I think that there's, you know, I think there's a lot of, it happened in, in my life, in my wife's life with, with Evie when she was born and she had, she was missing components of her heart that needed to be there and literally praying for those to be there would be like praying for um, an amputee's leg to grow back. Like that's, that's, but yeah, people are praying all over the place. Yeah. And I would, and I would ask them and I probably seem very jaded, but I would be like, would you, if, if I lost my arm in war, would you pray for my arm to grow back? And would you be disappointed the next morning when it didn't? Could God regrow my arm? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Does that normatively happen? No. You know, when somebody gets cancer, should we pray for them? Sure. But I think, I think the overarching, I've, I've argued this since the time of Evie. So for the last four years, the overarching grander purposes of spiritual healing is what scripture's typically talking about when it talks about healing anyway, the healing of the soul. Uh, the healing that matters most. And could God heal? Uh, eventually, that's the, that's the glory of redemption. Eventually, all things will be made right. The curse will be reversed. And physical healing for our planet, for our lives, for his people will come. But for now, I would argue it's very rare for actual healing to take place. And I think it just disenchants a lot of people when we say, when we make a prophecy and it doesn't come true which is a very dangerous thing. Or when we say, oh, I believe the Lord's going to heal you or the Lord will heal you and it doesn't come true. There's a lot of that stuff. There's a lot of There's that stuff lot. going that, that's on. That's like damning. That is so dangerous and and so alarming. So do I believe all these things? Do I believe that God could speak? Do I believe God could give? Uh, we did a podcast on Mark Driscoll and Mars Hill. And Mark Driscoll said many times the Lord gives him revelation. You're, you're taking my next quick hitter question because oh. your answer is 15 minutes long. Okay, sorry. So, sorry my, the let's just pause there. Okay, so we got it. And for anybody that wants to talk about like nuance and miracles and what's a miracle and what's not, we can do another podcast on that. But True. Um, just maybe that's the type of miracle I'm talking about, like growing somebody's oh, arm fun. back. That's physically impossible, but could still happen. And tongues are kind of in a similar line. And I would actually call that divine interpretation a miracle. Like if I'm speaking in English and they're hearing in Russian, yeah. that's a miracle. Like yeah. to me. So they, there is some similarities there to it. So question number two is people saying God spoke to me directly or God told me this. And we've there have been cults started and run based off one guy hearing all this stuff from God and writing it down. Or it can be as simple as Mark Driscoll saying, God told me I'm going to go to Phoenix and plant a church or whatever it is. Where does that fall in line with speaking in tongues? Do you find them similar, different, and how? You've already kind of touched on it, so if you want to expound. If you're at a church where a leader says that, you need to find a different church. Oh, at dang. all? Like, at all. If he yes. says, God, God told me told that me. the men in our church need to step up. <laughs> yes. Even yes. if it's like in the Bible. So I, I would not, well, hold I would on, not let me, be there. Let me explain. Yeah, I think let that's a explain. bit far, but <laughs> no, God no. could have told him through scripture. <laughs> That men need to step up. Like, I mean, that's that could just be his interpretation of scripture and, and the working of the spirit. You don't think that can happen? Different question. Different <laughs> I question. I just said God told me. If somebody continually says, as a leader, God told me what they're trying to do, 
though they might start well-intentioned, what's going to happen is a culture is going to be created where this person is the authority, the sole authority. No one can challenge them. No one can tell them no. They're allowed to do whatever they want to do because God truly speaks to this person alone. Isn't that how it should be? And eventually, <laughs> this is this creates he needs to talk not a church. It creates a cult of personality. No, I, I agree with that to a certain extent, unless, like we've already mentioned, it is a direct mirror of what Scripture says. So uh, would, no. would you be more comfortable with language where the pastor says, instead of God spoke to me, God impressed upon me? No, no. This, this is language that builds a culture to just build up the person. That's it. Trust Anybody me. Anybody could say that, though. Like, not I just am the new pope. Trust me. I think that's why it's important to submit ourselves to other voices, to other authorities, to the authority of Scripture. Because what has happened, you know, we, we did this on our Catholic podcast in season two. But, we did. You know, the, the, the pope's authority rivals yeah. or even supersedes Scripture. That's where it's dangerous. Yeah. But if we're – I would have no problem with this. I would have no problem. I've done it as a pastor saying – or as a, as a, as a father – a husband saying, I believe that the Lord is leading our family this direction, clearly leading that direction. Now, does that mean I'm going to do that out from underneath the authority of Scripture or the authority of the no. elder board here or accountability in my life? No, uh, hopefully not. If that pastor's doing that, kind of what it seems like perhaps Mark Driscoll's doing, that's a problem. Yeah. Like That's problematic when you're yeah. just like, I don't care what anybody else says. Right. I don't even care what the Bible says. Right. I'm doing this because God told me to do this. Big problem. But if I'm saying, hey, underneath the umbrella of the authority of Scripture and the elder board and the accountability in my life, I believe that the Lord is leading in this direction. And it's not anti-biblical, but it's extra-biblical. It's, it's not in Scripture. I don't, I don't know if I'm who to marry in Scripture or what job to take or where to move. Then I have no problem with saying the Lord impressed upon me or led me or spoke to me, mm -hmm. not on the level of authoritative as Scripture. Not like still, He's giving me a new principle to teach. Not you, a new revelation. God for told all me humanity. we needed to be in Philippians this month or whatever. Or like Aaron does his things two years. You have problems with that? I Adam, I get Adam just what opens you're up the Bible and finds. I know. A text I'm like <laughs> I get what you're saying, and I. I mean, I know your heart in these things. That you're not trying to set yourself up as some kind Do of you, new it's new and desperately wicked and things like this. Well ever inventful of new <laughs> idols. I feel like are. this should be but, like No, 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 hold on. This is I why like Paul this. We said disagree. This I, is I like this is why Paul said elders plural lead the church. America has been a large experiment of churches led by one man and one individual and 99% of them have tumbled down. Sure. Because they're the one that is the direct And I think there's lots of, of ways God's to check word. that authority. Lots right. of ways to hold that accountable right. that people miss. I, I, think in our I don't necessarily think God leading, impressing, speaking, reinforcing the Bible through the Spirit is the same. But, okay. No, I was going to say, I think if you're in a healthy church, our elders here, I love our elders. I think they're fantastic. And I think they're godly men. And I think they would check me if I said something. Like if I said, I believe the Lord is impressing upon me to to encourage our entire church to read through the New Testament in the, in the month of March. Our elders would not say no to that. But no. if I said, I, I believe the Lord's impressing upon me to take everyone through um, a, 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 a personality <laughs> test training in the month <laughs> no. of March. I think, I think our- Even our, the Enneagram? Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. Knew, we knew that no, was I'm, coming. I'm just, saying, I'm just saying, I think I, I have no problem with that personally, but I think that there are certain things that I might press forward that if, if I haven't prayed through and I don't, I'm not really led by the spirit that our elders would rise up and say, no, like you're not, that's not cool. Or my wife would say, no, that's not cool. Or Pete, Pete, there's been things where Pete's like, I don't think that's right. And I'm like, what do you know, Pete? And uh, but uh, no, no, I, I think, I think there is checks and balances to this because I do think there's a lot of, 
subjectivity to the Christian life. Sounds like we oh, could have yeah. a whole podcast on God speaking. We could. Yeah. Hey. Um, Romans 8, 8, 8, 16 is true. All who are sons of God are led by the spirit of God. Meaning, Me- meaning the that spirit whatever the Bible inspired says. Inspired deposit of truth we have in the Bible. Okay. Last one, <laughs> um, which has already been touched on too. Uh, last quick question. So we've talked about how it can be hokey or how it can be defined as gibberish or other people could look at it and be turned off by Christianity because of it. How much do you think that has to do with our apprehension to Mm. accepting that tongues are still being spoken or that these gifts of the spirit are still out and rampant and charismatic? Because we've all heard, talked to, and probably thought some things about the charismatic movement at times as we're all recovering Baptists and some still self-proclaimed cessationists. So how do you think that comes into it? And should we be more unapologetic about it? Because we always are calling people to be unapologetic about what we believe, what the Bible says. Too bad if it's a turnoff, it's the truth. We can do it with grace, but that we still have to speak the truth. Kind of unpack that and what the difference is. If it's being done, which I would say that 95% of what's being done today with the sign gifts is unbiblical. If it's being done in an unbiblical way, there's no reason for... Is this okay? Like, right. should we, you know, if if they're prophesying and it's not in accordance with scripture, meaning, meaning that it's anti-biblical, then it's wrong. It's just wrong. Or if they're prophesying and maybe it's not even anti-biblical, but then it doesn't come true. They're a false prophet. Like that's not, that's not good. Like, yeah. you know, and, and, and there's much more to this terrorist mania than we're even talking about um, when you start to explore it. But if we're pressing forward behaviors, um, like you've got to bark like a dog to, to manifest that you're filled with the spirit of God. That's anti-biblical. That is confusion, Paul's saying. And it's better that we speak five intelligible words than like all this crazy madness that is just, look, I think anybody who knows me or listens to me preach or listens out of Oz knows this. Like one of, one of my primary concerns is with the way that Christians are depicting Christianity to the culture and to one another today. Um, and the hokiness and the irreverence and the, you know... Uh, we we joke around about it, but just the, the way that people even post about this podcast or post about sermons or or post about books they've read and how, I mean, I believe there's a heavy level of subjectivity in Christianity, but how subjective we go and how trite we go um, and how far-fetched we go, well, praise the Lord God healed Peter's headache. But two days later, Peter's headache's back. What happened to the goodness of God then? You know, like, it's just so like, we're just kind of, we don't think through things. We don't think well. And I think that's, unfortunately, if I can say it, I think that's where charismania is leading us oftentimes. And in reaction to that, my, my brothers who I love, I think, are going too far in the opposite direction and, and eliminating things that I don't feel like Scripture ever eliminates, some of these signed gifts. But we should check them. There should be, as I've said, there should be checks and balances, and we should represent Christianity and the gospel well, intellectually. It's an intellectual faith. Yeah, we should never embrace a position because of an overreaction of one position. Like cessationism. No. People are doing that today with, I think, authority. There's a huge rejection today of pastoral authority and elders' authority in the church simply because there's been such an abuse of authority, such to the point, and shame on us in, in the church, that now when people hear authority, and someone speaking authoritatively, they automatically assume that they're abusing the thing, you know? So some of that is present here in this discussion as well with the charismatic gifts and things like this, like speaking in tongues, but it's never a good idea to overreact in a position just because you dislike one. We can't throw the baby 
and the bathwater out. You know what I'm talking about. And in that, we should say that this is not an issue that condemns you. We have charismatic brothers and sisters that are our brothers and sisters. And I've learned greatly from C.J. Mahaney and San Storms and John Piper, who's wanted tongues for 40 years and never been given the gift, he says, and it frustrates him sometimes. (laughs) So we should debate discourse. We should enjoy these things and we should be fully convicted where we're at while we're willing. And I think treating each other in humility. And if someone really does have a good argument and if God's moving there, you should be willing to change your position. So all all that to say, yeah. Does that answer your question, Peter? I'm not even sure which quick hitter question (laughs) we're on. I I I think that- Let me, one more thing, because I started on this road (laughs) earlier in the podcast, because people will say, some believers um, will say that Tongues is the manifestation of filling the Holy Spirit. And if, if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you will necessarily manifest tongues. I would argue biblically, there's only one evidence, universal evidence of the filling of the Holy Spirit. And that is that they spoke the word with boldness. Like that's, that always happens. When somebody's filled with the Holy Spirit, they always proclaim the gospel. Like you they, talk about the fruit of the Spirit, self-control, love, gentleness, the, well, patience, I, see, I, kindness. I, I think... Th- this is for nerd discussion, but I think those are internal things that manifest themselves differently externally. Well, yeah, but they're present, right? No, no, just internally. I'm talking about oh, a, sure. a one manifestation that everyone can see is it will speak the word of God with boldness. Very much apostolic age for certain. And we, we could say today. Yeah. So, I mean, Amen. I think that we've given good definitions, good positions, good biblical context of what we believe speaking in tongues to be. I think the where we should end the podcast is just a clear kind of delineation of if people are speaking in tongues, how do you know if it's sin or how do you know if it's appropriate or what should you do as a Christian if you experience this? I would say if they're speaking in tongues in the church, that's wrong in the gathering because I, th- I think it is in the presence of more than two or three witnesses and scripture never contradicts itself and, and Paul forbids that. I think if they're speaking in an unknown, call it gibberish, angelic, whatever. And there's not an interpreter that is forbidden. Like that shouldn't. So if they're in a small group, that is forbidden. So if you're practicing the gift of tongues in contradiction to the Bible, it's just wrong. Like you shouldn't do that. That's the caution I would give somebody is, Hey, do you speak in tongues? Or do you know somebody who speaks in tongues? Are they doing it in accord with scripture? And I'm not even going to go down the route of prophecy and healing because it's for a different podcast. But when it comes to tongues, that is what I would say. And here's the thing. The Spirit gives utterance. Like the fact that we have like tongue-speaking classes is so bizarre to me. Yeah. It's very clear biblically. You the have spirit, to teach anybody the Spirit gives this utterance of tongues, whether it's an angelic language or speaking in a known language. And so you don't need to instruct in that. You don't need to coerce and manipulate in that. You don't need to browbeat somebody. So many people become disenchanted with Christianity because they got saved in a, in a church that pressed this and then they could never speak in tongues and they're seeing all these people do crazy things around them. And so I just think that there's like, we need to be biblically sound and anything we practice needs to be in a court of scripture. Amen. Amen. And that's all great right. summation. Yeah. Oh, did you have something else? I did. Go ahead. Let's <laughs> he, wanted, with he wanted to speak in tongues for us. Finish, oh, finish with your point And that's how we'll end it. So when in the Bible, when the Holy Spirit falls in power, and we should use such language because the Bible does. Jesus is magnified. The gospel is proclaimed. The church is built. Any other way or any other things that are magnified, even the spirit himself will not magnify himself, but magnify the son. 
If we're doing that, okay, let's let's chat. If we're not, stop. I think I think that's a good a good way to end is a lot of what we see today, not only in the tongues, charismatic circles, but even in the reform circles, is an elevation of a platform, an elevation of a person. And if it's not the elevation of the gospel, uh, the gospel of Christ, then there should be a serious caution around that. So anyway, that's it for today. Hopefully this cleared up a little bit of the confusion surrounding tongues. It did, totally. Everybody's on the same page now. Thanks. I think at least it, like <laughs> we tell people where to look in the Bible and Acts and Corinthians and yeah. you know see what it says and do your best. Yeah, like we always say, <laughs> do your best. Just be, I just saw be I just your best self. Saw oh, somebody. No. <laughs> I just saw somebody um, saying, "Oh, these people want to do their own research and stuff." It's like, well, yeah, I think it's important for people not just to listen to our podcast, but also yeah, we're read, not read the scripture yourself. Yeah, Amen. God didn't tell Adam what to say today. He just did that all on his own. <laughs> All right, so from Peter and Pope Powers and myself, uh, until next time, folks. Thanks for listening to Out of Odds. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with your friends and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you listen. Out of Odds is produced by Building 28 Church and Podcast Royale. You can find out more about this show and Building 28 by visiting outofozpodcast.com. New episodes drop every Monday, and you can get each one automatically by subscribing in your favorite podcast app.